Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. Would you please stand as I read today's text? Some of you are wondering, like, hey, what's this about? Um, You know, when we can, when the the, the text is not of a crazy long um, version, we like to do this just as a simple recognition that we stand under the authority of God's word. This is the word of God. And so um, this is what it says in Mark 6.30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And having taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Would you please pray with me? Father, I love this story. I love to see Jesus in action. I love to see Jesus teaching, not only with words, but with actions. God, would you teach us today? Would you open our hearts, our minds, our ears, our wills, that, God, we might learn what you want us to learn today, and not just for head knowledge, God, but for heart transformation, that we might not just be hearers of the word, but that we might be doers of the word. And so may your word go forth in power today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are, Mark chapter 6, the feeding of the 15,000, which is certainly one of the best-known stories in the Bible. Likely, if you went to Sunday school as a kid, um, you were taught this story over and over. And this should be one of the best-known stories in the Bible because of all the miracles in the Bible, only the resurrection and the feeding of the 15,000 are found in all four Gospels. Let me say that again because it's significant. Of all the miracles in the Bible, only the resurrection and the feeding of the 15,000 are found in all four Gospels. Well, why is that significant? Well, I think it means that it's really, really important if it's in all four Gospels. It's got something important to say to us today. So let's dial in 
focus in and see just what that might be. The passage is organized around four needs. Four needs. And where this is especially relevant, I think, for us today is that we all have these same four needs. We're needy people, and we have these four needs. There is the need for physical rest, for spiritual direction, for physical sustenance, and for spiritual faith. Physical rest, spiritual direction, physical sustenance, and spiritual faith. And if you're not getting all of those right away, you'll be all right. We'll, we'll take each one of them one at a time. So let's look at the first of these, which is physical rest. Anybody need some of that today? Oof, we could use some physical rest. Verse 30 reads like this. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now, from where or what are the apostles returning? You remember? From their short-term mission trip, right? Where they traveled throughout that region of Galilee, ministering in the many towns and villages, covering lots of territory. And how did Jesus send them out on this mission? That's right, in teams of two for protection, for encouragement and accountability because two are better than one. Well, things must have gone quite well because as we saw, he heard about all that was going on. So famous was Jesus becoming and the activity of his disciples on this short-term mission project that even the governor of the region was aware. And now these apostles are returning to their Galilean ministry headquarters in what town? Capernaum, right? Capernaum is their Galilean ministry headquarters. And they, they're coming back to report to Jesus what they've experienced. Um, they kind of went out to take this uh, first test drive without him being physically present with him. And now they're coming back and saying, hey, this is how it went. And it's a teachable moment. Well, how do you think the apostles felt after their short-term mission trip? Some of you know exactly how they felt because you yourselves have been on a short-term mission trip. How did you feel when you returned? Well, first, I think they felt exhilarated, right? Exhilarated. Why? Because they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in some truly profound ways. As it said back in verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now that will exhilarate you, will it not? People came to faith. Spiritual captives were set free. The sick were healed as the Holy Spirit produced a bountiful harvest through them. They felt exhilarated. But, as you've already said, they also felt exhausted. There's nothing quite like mission trip fatigue, is there? And then nothing like that first sleep back in your own bed. As wonderful as the trip throughout Galilee was, it did take a toll. Remember, these are men, flesh and blood. And that toll that it took upon them continued upon their return. We find out in the second half of verse 31 where it says, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So here's the good news, all right? Good news, but then there's some bad news. The good news is that the mission trip was so successful that people even followed the apostles back home to Capernaum. But that was also the bad news. Because the apostles, as we said, are exhausted, deeply in need of replenishment. And this is why Jesus arranged for them a vacation. As it says in the first half of verse 31, Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest 
a while. And I love this about Jesus. He knows the importance of rest. He knows that we human beings are made of dust and we need replenishment. And so we see in the ministry of Jesus, we've seen this on multiple occasions in the Gospel of Mark, we see rhythms of working hard and then resting hard. We see um, there's a time to work and then there is a time to rest. And as Jesus has determined, this is going to be a time of rest. And so it says in verse 32, And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, you will remember they did something like this before, didn't they? When they went from Capernaum, they traveled southeast to the region of the Gerasenes. It was on that trip that they experienced the earthquake megastorm. And it was also when they experienced the lead man with the legion of demons. Well, this time their route is going to be a little bit different. This time they would travel a little bit more directly eastward, not quite so far south, not too far from home, only about four miles by water, but far enough to get a break from the demands of the people, or so they thought. So that's the first need identified in our passage today. It's the need for physical rest. Second need identified in our passage is the need for spiritual direction. For spiritual direction. Look at verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Now these, my friends, are some motivated people, aren't they? It's always interesting as a pastor to hear when people make excuses about not being able to get to church. Look at these people. Their travel looks something like this, okay? So while the disciples traveled the four miles by sea, the crowds traveled twice as far. They traveled eight miles by land, hugging the northeast coast of the Sea of Galilee so that they were likely able to see the boat, to see Jesus and his apostles, to keep them in sight. And that boat must have been facing some strong headwinds. How do we know that? Well, because many of the people beat the boat to the destination on foot, which means, again, they were determined. They were booking it. They wanted to get there. Well, how will Jesus and the apostles who are already exhausted respond to this interruption of their much-needed vacation? Verse 34 tells us, it says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. How did Jesus feel about this crowd? Was he irritated with them because of the interruption? It was quite the opposite. Rather, he felt compassion for them. That word compassion comes from the Greek splunkizomai. Literally, it means to be moved in one's bowels from deep, deep within, where feelings of pain are felt like you had a bad burrito from one of Cadillac's 18 Mexican restaurants, right? God bless them, right? This splankna compassion from deep within the bowels means that you care so much about someone that it, it makes you physically ill. That's how Jesus felt about these crowds, even these crowds that were interrupting his vacation. 
And he felt that way because of how he viewed them. You got to see them the right way before you can feel the right way about them. How did he see them? The second half of verse 34 tells us, it says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, from previous studies, um, we know some things about sheep, don't we? Most of them aren't very flattering. We know that sheep left to themselves are completely helpless. They are directionless, meaning that they get easily lost. They are defenseless, right? They don't got fangs or armor or any kind of weaponry. They get easily overcome by predators. Really, sheep are helpless left to themselves. And that's how Jesus saw the crowds. He saw them as lost and vulnerable, as sheep without a shepherd. Church, can I ask you a question? How do you see the crowds? How do you see the people in our community? How do you see people who live differently than you do? People who vote differently than you do? How do you see them? Do you see them as enemies? Or do you see them as sheep without a shepherd? And so this would be one occasion where Jesus fulfills what he said about himself in John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I will act on my compassion. I will do something about it. I will provide for the needs of those lost and vulnerable sheep. And the manner in which he does this is quite interesting. Look at the last part of verse 34. It says, and he began to teach them many things. I highlight that word teach because of all the things that Jesus could have done for these sheep in this moment, of all the things that he could have provided for them, what does Jesus prioritize? The teaching of the word of God. The teaching of the word of God. For what these lost sheep needed more than anything was truth. Was truth. They needed spiritual direction. And so the text identifies this second need. After physical rest, there's the need for spiritual direction. The third need identified in the text is physical sustenance. Physical sustenance. We're going to kind of alternate from physical to spiritual, physical. And you can probably guess what the fourth one is, right? Look at verse 35. It says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, Oh, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Send them away, the apostles say. In Greek, it's an aorist imperative, which signifies a command of urgency. Have you ever commanded Jesus to do anything? If we're honest, if we're honest, they're saying, Jesus, do it now. There's no time to waste. Now, what do you think was truly motivating the apostles here? Was it concern for the crowd and their well-being? Or was it the desire of the apostles to get on with their vacation and to focus on their well-being? Well, honestly, just like all of us, it's probably a mix. They'd been around Jesus long enough. I'm sure that they did have some impulse in caring about the crowd, but they also cared very much about themselves. Whatever their motivation, there really was a crisis at hand here. It was getting late, and there was no food where they were. People were about to get hangry, right? Have you ever been hangry? It's that combination of hunger and anger together. 
Um, that short-temperedness that we get when we're hungry. Now, take that feeling of hangriness and multiply it by 15,000. And yes, there was, in fact, a crisis brewing. It was the third need identified in our text after physical rest, spiritual direction, now physical sustenance. The last and fourth need identified in the text is spiritual faith. Look at verse 37. But he answered the apostles, you give them something to eat. Now, put yourselves in the sandals of those apostles just for a moment. You're confronted with 15,000 hangry people in a desolate place with no Walmart, no Meyer, not even a Dollar General. And he tells you to feed them. Has, has Jesus ever instructed you, called you to do something that initially seemed impossible? He'll do that. He will do that. Why does he do that? To stretch your faith. To incline you to depend upon him. To help us to grow. Jesus called the disciples to do something they could not do on their own. Something that seemed impossible. Jesus will do the same with you. You think, maybe I'm mishearing. Jesus, did you really say that I should give them something to eat? Uh, I don't have anything to give them. Jesus will do the same for you. And apparently, just like us, these apostles needed some growth in their faith. Because it says in the second half of verse 37... They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, there's definitely some snarkiness in this response of the disciples. Some, we'll, we'll give them the, some credit and say there's just mild sarcasm here. Probably their own hangriness coming through as they respond to this seemingly impossible instruction of Jesus that they give something to eat. They, they estimated that to feed this crowd would cost 200 denarii. Now, a denarius was a silver coin that represented a daily pay, a daily wage for a day laborer. So 200 of these silver coins would be the same as 200 days wages or eight months. Eight months of wages it would cost to pay for enough food for 15,000 hangry people. Quite a sizable sum of money in that day. It would be even today. It was laughable to think about having those kinds of resources to feed this enormous crowd, especially because the apostles had left everything behind to follow Jesus. It's not like they got a lot of extra material resources hanging around. And so clearly, the apostles are viewing the situation through physical eyes and not through spiritual eyes. They only saw the problem and not the potential of what Jesus could do in the midst of the problem. They'd completely forgotten about all of the other miracles they had seen Jesus perform. Miracles like uh, turning the water into wine. That would have been a miracle that was similar to this or on a similar uh, trajectory. Or how about this one? There's a lot in common with the Old Testament story about, can you think? The prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 4, where a widow's one jar of oil was multiplied many, many times over. Sadly, the apostles never even considered 
that Jesus, who had done so many miracles already to this point, could do another one. And so it was time for Jesus to go to work and make this a teachable moment. Look at verse 38. And he said to the apostles, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Now, the lesson begins, the teachable moment begins by the apostles being instructed to take inventory. Rather than focus on what they don't have, Jesus challenges them to consider what they do have. It's a good lesson for us, right? We tend to focus so often on, well, I don't have this, I don't have that, when in reality we have so much. Well, admittedly, what the apostles have isn't much. Five loaves and two fish, pretty appetizing, right? And and make no mistake, this is not sourdough bread and salmon that we're talking about here. This is more like saltines and sardines. Not very impressive, but it is what they had. It is what they had. And the truth is that God's way of provision typically begins with what we already have. I'm all about prayer. All right, we should pray. Oh God, would you intervene in this situation? Oh God, would you provide this? Oh God, would you do this? But I think so many times when we pray those prayers, what is God saying to us? You do something about it. You give them something to eat. And when you step out in faith and obedience to be part of that answer to that prayer, guess what happens? God takes your five loaves and two fish, and he does miracles. He does things far beyond what you would have anticipated, but it begins with you stepping out to give something to eat. Jesus said in verse 39, he says, Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. I highlight green. Let's, let's connect some dots here. Specifically these dots. Sheep, shepherd, green grass. Does that make you think of anything? How about Psalm 23, 1 and 2? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I have to think that what Jesus is doing here in Mark 6, he's demonstrating visibly that he himself is that shepherd in Psalm 23, even to the point of making these sheep lie down, or in this case, it's sit down in the green grass. But watch how this happens. They don't just sit randomly, for it says in verse 40, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by 50s. Where are my gardeners? Who's got the biggest garden here today? Let's do a little bragging, huh? Nobody? No water, right? Um, well, you'll love this, I think. The Greek word translated here as groups, it really refers to rows of vegetables in a vegetable garden. And again, maybe with some rain today, um, our gardens will be much happier. But if you had drone footage of over the 15,000 who were seated in the green grass, it would have looked like orderly rows of crops in a series of garden plots. Isn't that cool? And I want to emphasize and stress this word orderly. And I, I come back to this every once in a while because sometimes I will hear people say something like, to focus on the organization, on systems and structures of the church isn't very spiritual. 
which is absolutely false. Because we serve a God of order, not of disorder, who created an orderly universe, did he not? Who created an orderly human body. And when our bodies cease to operate orderly, what's that called? Disease. So order is so important to God. And here in the wilderness, when confronted with a large gathering of people, kind of like what we have here at FBC, um, he gave attention to the organization of the people. Do you see that? Systems and structures in organizations matter to God because it enables us in an orderly way to minister most effectively. So don't ever be guilty of making it say, well, it's not very spiritual to focus on structure and systems and organization. It most certainly is. Then the miracle took place beginning in verse 41. It says, in taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. We don't have the exact wording of the prayer, but I think we can safely assume that it certainly included elements of thanksgiving for what they had. Again, only five loaves and two fish, but thanksgiving for that. God is honored when we are grateful, even when what we have is little. Gratitude for God's loving concern for the crowd. Jesus knows that God loves them and cares for them. Jesus knows that God has better in store for this group than for them to be lost and vulnerable sheep. But then also, I believe, a cry of faith that God would do a miracle in this setting. Great things happen. Miraculous things happen when gratitude, faith, and supplication collide. Gratitude, faith, and supplication. God honors and he shows up big when those ingredients are present. Verse 41 goes on to say, And Jesus broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. Among them all. All 15,000 received bread and fish from the original five loaves and two fish. Truly a remarkable miracle, but don't miss the component of how he did it. What does it say? Gave them to the disciples. We could easily gloss over that and, and, and miss the importance. Here's the principle. Jesus does his work through his people. Jesus does his work through his people. They are active participants in what God is doing. They're not just passive bystanders or spectators. Likewise, church, God wants to do his work through us. We are not to be bystanders. We are to be active participants. And surely, this little lunch of five loaves and two fish would give just enough for everybody to have a nibble, right? Just a taste. Kind of like when we have communion, right? Just a taste. To tie them over until they go home. Well, we know better, don't we? Verse 42 says, And they all ate. And we're what? Satisfied. In the, in the New Living Translation, I like how that reads. It says, they ate as much as they wanted. Oh, yeah. Like, kind of like a Thanksgiving meal. Sitting on the couch, they were full. Like when you want to watch the lions lose on Thanksgiving Day. That same feeling. A new season is coming up. We've heard that before, haven't we? Not falling for that again. But the teachable moment for the apostles isn't over yet, for we read in verse 43, 
They took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Not only did everyone eat until they were stuffed, but there were actually leftovers. Again, just like Thanksgiving, right? And so Jesus sends the 12 apostles out to collect the leftovers, but rather than they didn't have any Tupperware, did they? Instead, they had baskets. And how many baskets? 12. Was that an accident? No. One for each apostle. As a visual, tangible reminder, I think, number one, a conviction of their faithlessness, but also a testimony of the power of Jesus to perform miracles. Well, the text ends in verse 44, where it says, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, that word used there for men is specific to males. And so here's where my Cadillac High School math arrives at the number 15,000. 5,000 men does not include women and children who would have been there. And so conservatively, and you could probably even say more than this, we could probably guesstimate that there were probably as many as 15,000 present rather than just five. Again, driving home the magnitude of this awesome miracle. So we see in the text the identification of four needs, physical rest, spiritual direction, physical sustenance, and spiritual faith. And as I said earlier, this is particularly relevant because we all have these same needs. They're universal. For every single man, woman, and child, there isn't a single one of us who doesn't need physical rest, spiritual direction, physical sustenance, or spiritual faith. And the key point of application in the text today is this. Please get this. Jesus alone brings ultimate provision. Jesus alone brings ultimate provision. He alone brings physical rest, spiritual direction, physical sustenance, and spiritual faith. For one of his great names in Scripture, I love this, is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh comes from Genesis 22 when God provided a ram to be sacrificed in place of Isaac as a picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was provided in our place as the sacrifice for our sins. Truly, our God is Jehovah Jireh and how he provided for our salvation. But his provision doesn't stop there. I love Romans 8.32. It says, kind of ties things together for us today. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He already provided Jesus the most valuable thing that he has. The rest is easy. And so it says in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will provide for your every need without fail, including those four areas of need in our text today. Physical rest, spiritual direction, physical sustenance, and spiritual faith. So very briefly, could we just talk about an application for each one of those? First, physical rest. I firmly believe that to be overly busy and overly tired is not a badge of honor, not something to brag about but rather a strategy of the devil. For if you are overly busy and overly tired, you're not following God's plan for your life. And see what the apostles, a rhythm, work hard, rest hard. But part of God's plan for your life is a once a week Sabbath. 
a once-a-week Sabbath, a day to stop, to rest, to be replenished, and to renewed. A one-day vacation every seventh day. Without the Sabbath, life is but a treadmill that will run us to exhaustion. When you ignore God's principle of Sabbath, you sentence yourself to the treadmill and to exhaustion. And God in his wisdom and kindness knows that his people who are made of dust need physical rest. And he has literally built into our calendars what we need. And so he makes the same invitation that he made to his apostles in verse 31. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. We need that. Vance Havner said it this way. He said, come ye yourselves apart and rest a while is a must for every Christian. If you don't come apart, you will come apart. You'll go to pieces. I have no sympathy with those who say the devil never takes a vacation. I'm not following the devil, but the Lord who said, come ye yourselves apart and rest a while. In God's wisdom, he has made provision for this 52 times a year. And so I ask you this morning, how is Jesus calling you to physical rest? The next need we have is spiritual direction. For left to ourselves, we're no different than those sheep. Left to ourselves, we're directionless, we're defenseless, we are vulnerable. We too desperately need a shepherd to provide for us, to defend us, to guide us, and ultimately to die for us. As it says in John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And as my Bible tells me, Jesus laid down his life by dying on the cross for our sins that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is our greatest need. And Jehovah Jireh has provided for this need in the person of Jesus the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so I ask you this morning, are you following the shepherd? Now, there's two, two different parts to this. Number one, if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus for the salvation of your soul, for the forgiveness of your sins, acknowledging him as both Savior and Lord of your life, that's where it begins in following the shepherd. But Christian, those of you who have at some point in the past done that, that doesn't guarantee that day to day you are following the shepherd in your life. Some of you are off doing your own thing and you're a sheep out by yourself, vulnerable in a dangerous place. Today needs to be the day that you put yourself again under the protection of the shepherd. Third thing that we all need is physical sustenance. And this goes, as you know, way beyond food. It includes every physical, material need that we have. We live in a physical world where physical resources are required for survival. And the good news for us today is this. All of these physical resources are in the very hands of God. I love uh, Psalm 24. I was yesterday in my quiet time. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All of it. All of it belongs to God the world and those who dwell therein. He owns it all, and guess what? He's not stingy with it. God's not stingy with his resources. Rather, he is generous, and he loves to give good gifts to his children. 
promising to provide for our every need. But we do have a role to play in this. For it says in Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, this is not some health and prosperity message, okay? So don't hear me say that. However, I think sometimes in our desire to run so far away from health and prosperity kind of theology, we neglect asking God for good things. And so I think maybe we need to come a little bit more back to center, back to Matthew 7, 7. I think the important thing is that we ask, not primarily to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. Our Father is glorified when we ask Him for things. Why? Because it demonstrates dependence upon Him. It acknowledges that He is the source of all things. And in asking, there is the acknowledgement that we desperately need Him. And He is honored when His children ask Him. And so I ask you, what do you need in a physical sense today? And will you ask in faith, believing for his provision? And then finally, we we all have the need for spiritual faith. Because as it says in Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then 2 Corinthians 5.7, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. But I don't know about you, but I am particularly prone to walking by sight. Just like the apostles were fixating on the problem rather than the potential, the circumstance rather than on Jesus. And so what does Jesus do with us when we are so prone to this kind of limited living and focusing on the problem? He does just what he did with the apostles. He will provide teachable moments for us to grow in our faith. The key for us is to be teachable, to be teachable, to be those who look with anticipation to the opportunities that God provides to walk by faith rather than by sight. And so I ask you, in what teachable moment do you find yourself today? In what teachable moment do you find yourself today? And in that teachable moment, will you focus on Jesus rather than on the circumstance? What a joy today to be reminded that one of our God's great names is Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who will provide. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this account of the feeding of the 15,000 and so many life lessons to be gleaned from that. Again, those needs are universal, and so I, I know there's each one of us probably wrestling with some aspect of that today. I pray for... Holy Spirit clarity to come to the hearts and minds of each individual today. Deal with them where they are. Stretch them, grow them to be more like Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you that Jesus is the good shepherd. As he demonstrated his provision in the desolate place in the wilderness He will provide for us today, even when it seems like a desolate wilderness. God, I echo the gentleman in the scriptures who said, I do believe, but help my unbelief. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said,
Amen.